we are delighted to have um, Reverend Johnny Rebman here with us. Uh, he's been here before, and I've introduced them, Johnny and Amanda. They are missionaries to the Virginia Tech University, working with Chi Alpha. Uh, and we thank the Lord for both of them. They are serving the Lord there as missionaries. By profession, they are engineers and architects. The Lord has called them into the mission field, and they are focusing on the student body in Virginia Tech. Uh, Johnny was ordained as a minister with the Assemblies of God, and this morning is going to bring God's word. Reverend Johnny Rabman, please come. morning. Give me a minute just to get a little bit set up. My Bible open. Well, thank you, Pastor Finney, for the opportunity to speak with you all this morning. Just so grateful. Um, as he said, my name is Johnny Redman. My wife is Amanda Redman. And if you know Jim and Doreen, who shouldn't be that easy to point out, <laughs> we are family with each other. Amanda is their daughter, and I've been welcomed into their family um, by marrying their daughter, Amanda. And also, as Pastor Finney said, we serve as campus missionaries to the College of Virginia Tech. It's something that we've been doing for the past five years now, together at least. We've been doing it longer as individuals, but God has called us into that ministry, and it's a really rewarding one, one that we're really blessed to be a part of. And actually, this has been our most fruitful year of ministry by God's grace. We've actually seen students come out of the, the party lifestyle like never before, out of drug use, out of abusive relationships, out of mental health crises like anxiety and depression, addictions of various kinds, to the point where, numerically speaking, We've seen people rededicate their life to Jesus or make a commitment to him basically on a weekly basis. And the numbers of students that gave their lives to Jesus or recommitted their lives to Jesus this year was about 150. So, so God is moving in this next generation. And he's moving not just at Virginia Tech, but I believe in Plainview. I believe in New York, God wants to do something. He wants to do a work in this country and in our, in our world. Amen? We also hold your fellowship in just very high esteem. It's one that we, we come to and we're always encouraged by. One, because you welcomed us like family. You welcomed Jim and Doreen who are here all year round as family. And so that's one reason that we praise God because of you. But another is because as a predominantly Indian congregation, we work with a lot of international students. That's one of our ministry focuses. And to see a room full of people from Indian background praising Jesus is such a faith-building experience for us. We, we see so many students who come from India and who don't know anything about Jesus, and it's a long process to see someone come to faith usually from that background. And so it's just an encouragement. We praise God because of you all. Um, just an encouragement to us. And so we're just grateful, and we're, we're really excited to have fellowship together this morning.
but it's been my understanding that you all have been in a series on the Holy Spirit. And I want to not take us too far from that, which is a pretty easy thing to do, thankfully. And I hope to loosely tie this with the themes that you all have been going through. But the theme that I want to touch on this morning is the Holy Spirit's role as Emmanuel, God with us, and specifically how prayer is the way that we are connected to God being with us through the Holy Spirit and the healing and reviving role that prayer plays in our lives and in the world around us through prayer. I believe that's the message the Lord has for us this morning. But a quick story to illustrate this point, we were actually a couple of days ago grilling on the grill, and so if, you, if you're a griller, um, we, uh, this, this is for you. We are working on our camping grill, which is a really small one. The propane tank's about this big, and it could get up to about 300 degrees, which is, you know, that's a lot. That's good. And it took about 12 minutes, and then nothing was happening to the salmon that was on the grill. And then, we, and then we tried another 12 minutes, and still nothing was happening. And then we tried maybe like five more minutes, and we're like, all right, just stick it on the stationary grill with a propane tank like this big, and then just blast it at 600 degrees. And it cooked in five minutes. And this is, and this is what life is like as a believer sometimes. We have the choice to burn at different temperatures by God's grace. God has grace available for us to, to burn with different temperatures, and we can receive his grace inside of our lives to, to burn at a, a larger flame, or we can be content with where we're at and burn at a, a, camp, a camp grill flame level, if you will. And so I don't know about you, but we need a Holy Spirit encounter in our communities, in New York, in this country, and in the world today. On the one hand, you have God doing unprecedented things, like Wilmore, Kentucky, if you heard about it a few months ago, Asbury University, and other colleges that are being touched by God. You have communities that are experiencing what it's like to get out of the pandemic and, and be revived in their, their enthusiasm for God and meeting together like you all are doing here but at the same time that, that this is happening, you also have some darkness inside the world when we are leaving the pandemic. You have a world with much greater social and political division, arguably, economic uncertainty, drug use that continues to be a major problem in our country, serious disregards for human life in many different ways, and a new bad story that seems to kind of appear on your social feed or your newspaper basically every day. And so I even think of personally, and maybe this might relate to some of you, I had a friend who was instrumental in me coming to faith in Jesus in my high school years. That's when I came to know Jesus through a ministry called Young Life. And I'll call him Chad just for the sake of privacy. And Chad was a believer in this fellowship, and he had a genuine faith in Jesus, it seemed to me. And he was an example of someone whose life had been touched by God. And these people who are around me serving as examples of Jesus touching a life were an encouragement for me to trust him. And I remember reaching out to Chad uh, last, a couple months ago and just felt led by the Lord to do so. Didn't know why, but I reached out to him and I asked him, how are you doing? How's, uh, you know how it goes, how's family, how's faith, how's friends? And you, and you get to the faith question 
and he gets a little bit quiet, but he gets honest with me. And he tells me how since his college years, many things have happened in his life. And sadly, he's pushed God away because of not trusting God, that he was really good in those moments, that maybe there was God, God was unfaithful to him in some sort of way. God didn't provide for him in those situations. He actually lost a friend. Um, he died in college, a close friend of his. And I look at situa- all these situations, not just this one with Chad, but all these different situations, and sometimes people think that missionaries are impervious to the weight of things that are going on around them, but we feel it just like everyone else. Pastors feel these things. It doesn't matter what role you play in the body of Christ. You can still feel the weight of sin and darkness around you. And sometimes that's quite an overwhelming reality for me, if I could just be honest. But when I look and I see this, I'm reminded that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that God is able to work every single situation, just as we are singing before this, for good. Amen? And that's what we need. I'm tired of lives not being changed in a lasting way by God. Well, by by situations, not by God. I'm tired of what it looks like to, to see only things stay within the confines of a church building, but not touch my daily life and touch outside of the church building. And I'm tired about an encounter with God that only stirs our emotions and our lips, but not our hearts and our feet to action. What do, we, what do we make of a situation when someone calls it revival, but it's all of those things I just listed? Is it really revival? Could you really call it that? And I want to see a real encounter with the living God, a real encounter with the Bible God that, that we are promised, that who is alive and active and who actually changes lives. And if I were to ask around the room, I think there are other people who are hungry for that as well. And so what do we do about this? I suggest that we submit to the reality that we have a great need for God, and we, sub- and we yield to the methods of being in community with God that the scriptures give us. And the one that I'm focusing on today is prayer. And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, that's where we'll be today. And I'm just going to create a little context to summarize what's happened. King Solomon has just dedicated the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And after a seven-year process of having this thing built, there was a prayer that was made by King Solomon. And of course, there had to be a, a, a waiting for the presence of the Lord to come and fire to fall upon the altar and then for sacrifices to be offered to the Lord. All of these things coming into fulfillment, these seven years of long work being met by the presence of God showing up. And then they spend basically two weeks there celebrating the temple and then the Feast of Tabernacles and then the Day of Commencement. And when Solomon lays down in his bed that night, the Lord comes to him and says this in verse 12 of um, chapter, of, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, 
or send pestilence among my people. I'm going to pause there before the main verse, which is 2 Chronicles 7.14. But the first thing that God identifies his temple with is a house of sacrifice. It's a place that when fellowship is needing to be restored with God, people can come to his presence and receive that reconciliation with God through the sacrifices that are made. Praise God for his mercy for the people at that time. That's how, that's how we did that. But we can look at this and see that God is giving us a blueprint that does transcend the covenants in a way, that it still applies to us today. And that is the question, what do we do when things go wrong? And what follows next will be the focus of that message, and specifically, once again, the healing, reviving power of prayer. And God says this in his word in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us a way of communing with you and coming to you with any need that we could ever have. Thank you for being a gracious father to your children, that you would hear prayer, that you would come to our aid. And we've seen you do this through the scriptures. We've seen you do this in our own lives. God, we pray that you'd speak to us through what you've said here in your word today. God, we pray that all um, distractions, God, all critical thoughts and, and spirits, God, would be silenced. Lord, that the name of Jesus would be exalted in this place. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So I've been using a word that doesn't technically happen in the Bible, which is revival. But just as much as it doesn't happen in the Bible, there are plenty of other words we use like Trinity, but, the, but they aren't actually in the Bible. They're just the concepts. And so this concept of revival, depending on what we mean, is very biblical, which is what we see here in Second Chronicles chapter 7, which is... If we mean a move of God that's preceded by conviction of sin, repentance, prayer, and that overflows to bring healing and restoration to the surrounding culture, then this is exactly what Second Chronicles chapter 7 is talking about, and we can call it whatever we'd like. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying the word revival. And what is the first thing that this passage says needs to come? Before revival comes, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, that's right, humility, what change ever happened in our lives without first a step of humility, coming to God, recognizing, God, how much do I need you? How much I, I cry out for you, God? My problems are too much for me. I, the last time I was here, if you were here, I shared a little bit of my story and how I had a, a major problem with lust inside of my life, and I felt powerless to be able to, to change my situation. And this is a very common problem on the campus ministry setting on the college campus today. So many people who can't get away from the videos that they watch online, from the thoughts they think, from the actions they do, or maybe even things they do with other people. And they are unable to break out of this power. And I was in that place 
for six years of my life, some of those years as a believer. And I felt continuously less and less hopeful about my situation. The more I thought it seemed, the less I had power over my situation. But it took getting to the point and realizing that I really needed an encounter with God, and I really needed Him, and nothing in my power could do it, was when I actually received the grace from God to be able to overcome. Praise God. And He offers that grace to everyone, and the Scriptures are clear about this time and time again. God gives grace to the humble, and He opposes the proud. To those who come with closed hands, he will leave them empty. But to those who come to him with open hands, God gives them a good dose of his grace. And so only coming to a place of ownership and responsibility and accountability before God can we receive his grace. Only stooping low enough and humbling ourselves low enough can we do that. And so we need to ask ourselves today, is there anything that, that is keeping me from God? Anything that's maybe making my flame dull inside my life. The altar of my heart has become more of a throne for something else. And maybe someone might say, well, I'm not really struggling with with that much inside my life. That's between you and the Lord. Ask God to search you and know you and see if there's any wicked way within our own hearts. Let's ask him that. But that's fine. Let's, I can preach to that. And this passage actually has a great solution to that. Because when we think that everything's okay and we can just say, oh, the world has all these problems and I've got really relatively small ones, Second Chronicles addresses this. Read it carefully again. If my people, plural, who are called by my name, humble themselves, plural, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, plural, and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, plural, and heal their land, plural. The point is, everyone is grouped together. This is important. So often we look at the world around us, and we, ha- we have a critical spirit, honestly, about ourselves. There's so much of it in the world today, in everything we're taking in, and we get very critical and not compassionate towards people around us. When God, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, has called us to be a a kingdom of priests. And what do priests do? Priests make intercession on behalf of the people they represent before God, right? And that's exactly what this passage is teaching us. That, yes, we come to God with our own sin, but if we are constantly callous towards the sin of other people around us and apathetic towards it, We're not fulfilling our kingdom role as a priestly nation before God in Christ. We're missing part of our role as children of God. This is a group effort. And if I can be frank, this is one of the things that keeps the younger generation away from the church. They look at people who, who profess one thing with their lips, and the scriptures are full of this. They honor me with their lips, but they, they, they are far from me in their hearts. And I praise God that From what I can see, Cornerstone is a fellowship that has a different testimony. But still, I want this word to minister to each and every individual heart here. Where are the places that we are not totally authentic? And that the people closest to us can see very clearly. Because the younger generation is watching. Our co-workers are watching. Our children are watching. And the ways that we compromise are the things that keep us 
or that keep them from being fully convinced by the testimony of our lives and that keep them from fully buying in to this message that our lives are meant to represent. We're called to be Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let us represent him with every single aspect of all that we are. Amen? An encounter with God will always lead, though, to a revelation of his holiness and therefore also a better recognition of our own hearts. In his light, we see light. His light shines into the areas of our hearts that might need uh, some, of more, some more light. I think of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. And though Isaiah w- did not seem to be a self-righteous man, quite the opposite, this is important to see. He said, when he came into the presence of the Lord, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. An encounter with God always leads to that fruit of seeing, when we see him rightly, we see ourselves where we're truly at more rightly. Not comparing ourselves by the relative standards of one another, but truly seeing from a true perspective of who God is. And that always brings us into a place of compassion with people around us. Just like Isaiah began to recognize, not only are the people around me in need of repentance, But I myself before the Lord stand with them. I'm lumped in with them before the Lord. I need God's grace. Let's humble ourselves to stoop down to the lives of those who we'd consider more sinful than ourselves and pray for them. Treat their sins as our responsibility because there's someone else who treated sins that weren't their own responsibility as if it was his responsibility. Praise God. Thank you for Jesus who did not treat the sins committed by others as something that was not his responsibility. Praise Jesus that he didn't wipe his hands clean and rather than condemn the world, which would have been just and righteous. He didn't come to condemn the world because the world always stood condemned. But he came to bring mercy and to offer compassion and healing for them. Amen? This leads to the second point of the passage I believe the Lord wants us to hear today. And it leads us to a point of application. Having a humble heart is one thing, but how do we live with a humble heart? Well, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a heart posture of humility leads to a life of prayer. It leads to walking in prayer before God. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves... And pray and seek my face. And then, and then it continues. I want to take a quick back, backtrack in some of the other passages in Scripture in the Old Testament to find something interesting here for us. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 says this. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So talking about the temple, the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus is someone, Jesus quotes this passage later on in Scripture, and we see these two concepts linked together that are linked together in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. That while prayer and sacrifice are two completely different things, because you can't just pray for forgiveness of sin, like Scripture says, without blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
But nevertheless, they're always united together in context. It's very interesting when we talk about the temple. Prayer and sacrifices happen in the same place. Isaiah 56 says it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 at the installment of the temple says it. That prayer and sacrifice happen in the same context. Why is this important? It's important because prayer carries similar themes to sacrifice and it helps us understand and rightly approach it if we struggle with prayer. I'm someone who's, who has been very blessed to be a part of a ministry that really values prayer, and that's really the only reason I have a prayer life, to be very honest. God has used them to stir a heart of prayer inside of me because prayer is a sacrifice in some ways. It's not a replacement, but it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our, hum- or our pride that says, I haven't done wrong and I need to repent. Or maybe the pride of saying, I don't need to pray for this other person or the, the sins happening in my community or my nation. I don't need to be involved with that. It's not worth my time. It's a hard one. It's a sacrifice of time, attention, and our productivity mindset that says, well, And we might even be able to dress it up in very religious-sounding terms. But this is a mantra of the flesh, nevertheless. Well, God has already empowered me to do such and such things, and so I'll do what I can in my power. But but God has given me the ability to do it, which is really just a nicely religiously lacquered facade. It's the mantra of the flesh that says, I actually just don't want to walk in continual dependence upon the Lord through a prayer life is what it's saying. And so prayer is the practical point of application of a life of humility. But prayer is not supposed to end as prayer. Notice the words here. Pray and seek my face. In other words, God wants a face-to-face encounter with us. He doesn't just want us to reach out with our, for his hand. He wants us to seek his face. He wants an intimacy-first mentality versus a results-first mentality. And don't get me wrong. Intercession is vital and necessary in actually what this passage is talking about. But God reveals, nevertheless, his heart in this moment through the way he phrases it in Scripture, that he wants us to seek his face. And I can't tell you how many times I've sought healing for healing's sake, revival for revival's sake, a move of God for the sake of a move of God, when God just wants my heart. God just wants me to be close to him. He wants you and I to be in this face-to-face encounter with him through the place of prayer. Only then will true healing come. And only then will revival begin where it was meant to begin. In my heart, in your heart, it wasn't meant to just be pushed out to them. It's the same mindset of, oh, it's their problem. God, deal with them I'm just going to stay here and pray about it. It it first begins in us. Revival begins in our hearts. And then it overflows into the communities around us. And only then will it happen. Without this deep and rich relationship with God, we miss out on the greatest treasure of all in this whole thing of prayer. Prayer isn't about prayer. It's about God. It's about being with him. And I I even think of um, people who really mean well who have a naturally compassionate heart, a heart for advocacy, a heart to be someone and make change. And I I encounter so many students, even Christian students in our ministry, who want to make a difference. 
and who want to do something for others. They see the injustice in the world. They see the suffering and pain of those that they care about, and they want to do something. Maybe they have a friend who struggles with mental health issues, and they want to be compassionate and a caretaker towards them. But so many of them fall short in their efforts because they actually haven't received it from God first. It begins with what we receive from God first, and then overflows into the lives of those around us. They didn't have a prayer life of dependence upon God. They were doing it out of their own compassion, their own effort, their own ability to help, which is good of an intention as that is, it actually left them more broken than when they started. They found themselves being corrupted by the very same things they were trying to help. Helping others in the spirit of justice might lead to vengeance. Helping others with mental health issues when you yourself don't have a firm foundation might leave yourself being sucked into the negative mindsets that plague them. And God wants us to walk into the world with a firm foundation laid that we can walk on and that we can reach out to others upon. And that's what's happening when we are building a prayer life with God. We're building a firm foundation. We're building a road of connecting heaven to earth, and we're walking upon it, and we're inviting others to step upon this path with us. That's the only ground that people can step on and that you can lead others onto the path with from. Otherwise, you yourself might be dragged down with them. That's what exactly um, James 1.27 says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure is caring for widows and orphans in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. That in our best efforts, we might very well actually try to help people, but we, might, we ourselves might be entangled by what we're dealing with if we don't have God's grace through prayer. Amen? And so where does this leave us today? I believe it leads us to the altar. God says that he... He no longer dwells in temples made by human hands, but in human hearts. And the altar is our heart. The altar is the place where God meets us right here, where we live as a living sacrifice before God. God promised, turn from your wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven and will forgive your sin and heal your land. And praise God that the sacrifice has been paid already and that the, the system that is being talked about in this context has already received the sacrifice paid in full through the blood of Jesus. That Jesus has been the sacrifice and Jesus has paid it all. And praise God that he didn't turn a blind eye to your sin or mine. If you're here today, or if you're watching and you don't know Jesus and you need to know him, we invite you to, to find someone who knows Jesus and who, who can pray with you. Don't leave this room not making that decision. And when you make that decision, make sure you tell someone. We can't do this alone. And if you're watching online, find the contact information and reach out. But for the rest of us, I invite the rest of us just to, to stand this morning as a means of response. And just in your seat, um, I'm just going to lead us in prayer and ask God to, to do work in our hearts and for us to respond to the word.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your compassion towards us. That you would give your life as a ransom for us. And that you would treat something that was not your mess to clean up as something that you worked diligently to do. Jesus, I pray that every heart in this place would receive from the word what you desire to deposit in each heart. God, I pray if there are hearts here that the flame is more like the, the small camping grill propane tank and it's a, it's a dwindling flame. We pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to reignite the flame today. God, we pray that you would ignite a passion for prayer in this place and that people's hearts would just long for that place and that they would begin exercising all the different ways that you've given us to pray, God. I pray for those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, God, and who can, who can speak in other tongues, God. I pray that, that they would use their gift, Lord, to utter mysteries in the Spirit and to intercede according to your will, God. God, I pray, Lord, for those who need help in the area of prayer, God, that you'd give grace, Lord, and you'd send people around them to encourage them to pray with one another, God, to agree in prayer, and for powerful prayers to come out of this local church body that would not just remain in this building, but would touch Hicksville and Plainview and the greater Long Island and, and even beyond, God. God, that long, long unanswered prayers that we're waiting on answers to, God, for loved ones, God, who don't know you. God, for neighbors and, and friends and family who don't know you, God. God, we pray, Lord, that they would be answered. God, that the heavens would open, God, that you would see us responding to your promise in Scripture, that you are a God who answers prayer. And, Lord, that we would see answered prayers. And, God, lastly, I pray that you would deal with our hearts, God, if just as David prayed, that if there's any wicked way within us, if there's any apathy towards the sins of those around us, and, and rather than a heart of tenderness towards those, a, a critical heart, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts and, and, and give us a heart like yours. And so we thank you that you are a God who answers prayer and that there is still room for us to make intercession and to see you move. Would you glorify your name in and through your people today and going from this place? In Jesus' name we pray.